Welcome to the Narrow Way podcast with Micah and Royce, where we discuss modern conservative ideas, self-improvement, applied philosophy, faith, technology, and much more. Thank you for joining us today. Our topic of conversation, ethical capitalism, pitfalls, shortcomings, good things. Um, how are you doing today, sir? Wonderful, wonderful. So capitalism, noun, an economic and political system in which a country's trade and industry are controlled by private owners for profit, as the Oxford English Dictionary. What is your, what is capitalism to you? When you think of capitalism, what do you think of? Honestly, I think of opportunity. I think that's the the biggest thing I think of because if you have an idea that's a good idea and you're able to execute that idea, then the potential is limitless. I mean, you can monetize that and make yourself very wealthy and very capable. Now, that's probably in an already capitalistic society that's already up and running. Starting a country and making it capitalistic society is a little bit different because in order to get to that point to where people have money to want to buy your idea or buy your products, that also has to exist as well. And so um, there's a lot of sacrifice that has to be made and a lot of loss before a capital capitalistic society can run. Perfect example is 1992. Soviet Union transitioned essentially what which turned into the Russian Federation went from socialism back to a form of capitalism not capitalism necessarily like we would think of it here in America where it's very a lot more open and free, but definitely more capitalistic, more variety, um, oppor- more opportunity for the somewhat average person to engage in economics. And it was a bloodbath oh, it was. for a decade. Yep. That transition was brutal. It was. I, I mean, there was political problems too, but I think that economic problem, that economic shift was was a high price. Definitely, and, and we were there for some of that. And I mean, there were people begging for communism to come back because even though communism left them all poor, for the most part, except for the people that were taking all the money, um, at least, number one, they were all poor together. Number two, um, they were able to, when you struggle together, um, there's this sense of patriotism with that. Um, shared misery. Yeah, shared misery. And it's something that we as Americans really haven't had to deal with a lot because... Um, that 75 years of communism was really brutal 
a brutal time period to go through. And the closer you were to Moscow, the better it was because money kind of trickled down. It was like Moscow was the peak and, and money would trickle down. And as it went through more hands, more money would be skimmed off the top and less would get to people to the point where people in villages, in many cases, they were living off the land. They, they weren't, they weren't waiting for a paycheck to help them sustain themselves uh, from the government. It was more, we're surviving together. How do, how do we survive this winter? How are we as a, as a town, as a village, how are we going to make it through? And, and so, I mean, that's, it sounds miserable and horrible, but at the same time, there was this, you knew your neighbor, you know, you helped him and you helped each other because you might be in that same position tomorrow and you're hoping they'll help you. And, and so there was this, this sense of, of camaraderie that was there that, that isn't present in a capitalistic society. Not, not saying that, that communism was better in any, any way as that is, but, but the, but what we often do is we instantly say, well, this is the best and this is awful and there's no good. It's like, no, there's a reason that they stuck with it for 75 years. There's a reason. And it wasn't just being controlled by fear. It was, it was a, a whole, it's a lot deeper than that surface level of understanding of what people see. And you can't know that until you've sat down and talked with somebody that lived in that society that, that went through that and, um, and yeah, I mean, many, many would choose even now probably to go back to that of the older generation because now you look at it and everyone's isolated from one another. Everyone's out to do whatever they want to do, make the most they want for themselves and are ready and willing to rip anyone off to make the most money. And, and that wasn't present there at that time because there wasn't money to be made. <laughs> there wasn't money to be had. It's like we're all surviving together. And, and you'd think food would become a commodity, but that's not really how it was. It was somewhat, but it wasn't the, you know, the anarchy that it would seem to be if that was the case of what was happening. And it, it wasn't. And so people know. are very shy to discuss especially in conservative circles, are yeah. shy to discuss any kind of social benefits from communism. And obviously we're very anti-communist ideally. Sure. But the the sentiment is not bad. Yeah. The sentiment of, I would even go so far as to say it's biblical to a certain level. But it can't be on a macro. It just does not work. That's the thing. It just does not work on a macro level because of corruption and greed. Yeah, and I think we talked a little bit about this, maybe our first episode. Uh-huh. But but yeah, I think communism is idea is perfect in a perfect society. Yeah. And but we're sinful men, and we're never going to be perfect. And so there's always going to be people that are stealing, and when they're stealing, then there's Corruption, and when there's corruption, then well, if he still, if I still, if I that, and then all of a sudden, the guy that's adhering to the system suffers because he's at the bottom and he yeah. gets nothing, or he gets what's left over. It only works if everyone plays by the rules, yep. and no one ever all plays by the rules. Yep. Doesn't happen. So, yeah. but back to capitalism. So, yeah. 
so yeah, I think the, the sacrifice is great that has to be made in order to start that system. And it, and it takes a lot of forced, um, forced changes because people don't want to go through that change because it's miserable. Russia's economy went from being viewed as one of the top in the world to, I mean, almost third world country-esque. I mean, to where it's, they have, they had to add so many zeros onto their money. They just removed zeros when it was all said and done. And it was still thousands of, of rubles to a dollar, you know, and in many cases. And no, actually, I think it went down to, I think they took all the zeros to where it's 32 rubles to the dollar, I think, when they initially <laughs> did it. But, but it used to be 32,000 rubles to a dollar, you know, kind of like, you know, you see pesos and things like that. It's just like, you get to a certain point and you're just like, man. Hyperinflation. Yeah, it's so, it's so much. And so, um, but that's, the government ultimately just said, let's, just, we're just going to remove these zeros and move on, you know, and the, and the, the value was just changed that way. Um, and so it, almost like they, they deleted one currency and, and created a new one almost. That's kind of, because it basically Russia went bankrupt. I mean, there wasn't, there wasn't money. Everyone that had the, the billions and the oligarchs, they were all out as soon as they got wind that the iron, you know, the iron curtain was coming down. They're like, we're out, you know, cause they're going to catch us and string us up or, <laughs> or, uh, we're either way, it's, it's going to turn into something that, you know, we don't want to deal with and we've got everything we need. So we're out, you know? And so Russia to its credit, you know, I, I will say this and, and, and a lot of that's, you know, to Putin's credit because he was one of the rich men and one of the heads of the KGB that didn't run and he stayed in his country and, began to build infrastructure and, and rebuild what was left after all of that, which a lot of people also, they all, everyone thinks he's trying to go back to communism. And I just don't think that's it. That system I think he sees doesn't work. Uh, he wants control, but I, I think he wants, if anything, communism more like what China has now to where it's capitalism that's controlled and monitored by the government. And so they still call themselves communist. Um, but, there's still opportunity to be had still rich people can be uh, become people can become rich and wealthy through their own hard work and aspirations through that. It's not a forced one wage uh, society. So, so we can start off by looking or discussing some of the, the benefits, the upsides of capitalism, right? And essentially what capitalism is, I mean, I read the definition of it, but it's, when a country allows their citizens to engage in private business, which is more or less limited government control upon the business, you know, the business operations and allows trade to take place business to business, business to consumer, um, for a profit. So the idea is as a cap member of a capitalist society, you bring goods and ser goods or services and or both to the market. You say, these are my goods and services. Um, this cost me this much. I'm going to sell it for this much. And I'm going to keep the difference in that as profit, as an increase in my personal value for bringing this to the market. So if I want to be 
at a copper distributor. I take I buy copper from the copper mill, and you know, and I have to buy it in a large quantity. Maybe I have to buy a hundred thousand pounds of copper at a time from the copper mill. So I take my money and I say, okay, I'm going to buy all this copper, and then I'm going to sell it to other businesses uh, as a service, and I'm, I will sell them maybe down to a hundred pounds in an order but I'm going to charge them more than I paid for it at the copper mill because I am providing it directly to this business. That's kind of like a distributor. And I'm going to charge more and keep, you know, in addition to all of my costs for moving the copper, for purchasing the copper, for storing the copper. And then once I sell it, I'm going to charge enough to cover all those costs and a little bit more because I've provided value to this next business that's going to use it. I'm going to keep that profit as essentially a reward for engaging in this market. And you can apply that to any, I mean, you can apply that to a service. I'm going to take my time on a private level and I'm going to sell my time, maybe by the hour, to a business, say, for consulting. And I'm going to go in and I'm going to educate a business or I'm going to, you know, audit a business. That's going to provide value to their business that business um, in that their operations will get better as a result of my the audit that I perform and I'm going to charge my time, which I value at X. And that's going to be, I'm going to make a profit there. I mean, I think most people have a pretty good idea of what a profit is, mm-hmm. but that's the foundation of, it's, it's for profit with in a privatized economy meaning that it's not sponsored or um, funded by the government. That's essentially what capitalism is, right? So our economy here in the United States is predominantly a capitalist society, a capitalist economy, I should say. So if you want to start a business in the United States, you there are regulations. Sure. Um, because, again, just like in communism, people don't always want to play by the rules. Mm-hmm. And again, in a perfect society, capitalism would, would, would work perfectly with no government intervention, no regulations. But in order to protect everyone in an economy, the government says, okay, we're going to regulate certain aspects of how all this all takes place. So if you want to engage in business, you get a business license from your state. You know, you get, if you want to get the, what's, called a corporate veil where you separate your personal finances from your business activities for liability purposes for um, bankruptcy purposes enable that enable you to take bigger risks essentially without jeopardizing your personal finances you can set up a, an actual corporate structure that that gives you that separation but you still own it and then you engage in business activities you make a profit and all of society increases because of that. Um, and it's worked very well for us in the United States for several hundred years. Uh, the government regulation has varied. It's varied in its intensity and it's varied in its success. Sure. As with taxes. I mean, taxes are a form of governmental regulation. The government takes a certain amount of your profits 
for quote unquote the the people um, and that can have its own set of problems and and also benefits but that's basically capitalism in a nutshell um, what are your thoughts on the upsides of capitalism so I love how your mind thinks first of all because you you detail you talk in detail so well and I think that was a great great description of capitalism and for me um, when I hear that I always have a broader view of things and, and some people are more detail-oriented others are going to have a broader look but like I look at communism and communism tends to um, cater to uh, if everyone does good then we all succeed together and capitalism, almost like, it's like they saw that and said, nah, people aren't good. People want what's best for them. And so in order to create a society, we need to find out what's best, what incentivizes people to do good. Because those incentives will then cause us to have a better society. And so the idea kind of a capitalism came up to where, you work, you eat. You work, you gain. You work, you're richer. And and it, it's this motivation of um, making one's life better by investing their time into whatever they're doing. Yeah. And and I think that that um, caters to humans as a whole because we want to gain. We want to grow. We want to be better than those around us. That's a... I think a desire within every person uh, uh, of wanting uh, that. And it's a struggle not to want that. <laughs> you know, if your neighbor buys a new car, there's this desire to outdo your neighbor just because we want to have the nicest car on the street. <laughs> you know, there's, yeah. there's that within everybody. And, and capitalism in, in, in that aspect gets people off the couch and gets them out to work because they want to have a better life. And, and the promise kind of of capitalism is that you can if you go out and do it. And that's where a huge benefit, I think, is. Whereas you look at something like communism, we're all going to be paid the same. We're working together out of patriotism to make sure our country continues and prospers together. Like that's that's the, the kind of what they pitch the people, you know, of what communism was going to be like. And our... You know, capitalism is almost the opposite of that is like, no, you, what you want to, and you go out and get it and you can. And that's, that's kind of, and, and so the, the positive of that is, is I think it's more realistic expectation. You can kind of understand that that's, that's going to happen because people are going to react that way. People naturally want what's best for themselves and their own family. Um, and so that's, that's, that's a more realistic uh, society that that can function um, and then also I think that it gives people hope because even if they do go out for it there's always this hope and there's this this dream that I can I can be that I can I can achieve that and I can do this and whether or not they ever achieve that dream or not that hope drives them to do something profitable and even if their business opens up 
and get shut down by another business that did their idea better than they did, well, that benefits society still, not them so much, but it still benefits society to where we get better competition. And so that better competition produces better products and those better products give us more of what we would want to buy and put our money back into it so that it would continue to grow and be stronger and stronger. And so this these, these different cogs in the system that cause it to grow and, 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 and they complement each other to make society stronger and, and richer, really, yeah. in most aspects. Uh, it's, it's mostly that. But Well, money doesn't do you any good if you don't have anything to buy. That's so true, yep. But I, I think if you zoom out even more, if you zoom out even past the, the greed, personal gain aspect of it, which does play a role. Sure. But if you zoom out far enough, it's like, okay, profit is a proxy for value that you as a person or as an entity has given to society. So society will reward you based upon the value that you bring to the market. Mm-hmm. Right? So if you use pro- the profit that you make as a direct correlation to the value that you've brought to the market. Mm-hmm. And if you're not bringing any value, you will not be profitable. And if you're not profitable, you will go out of business. So if you look at it from a, I am benefiting society by making a profit. I think that's the paradigm that people get, don't see, or they get hung up on as far as, you know, capitalism is evil or profit is evil. Well, no, profit is is just a marker. It tells a company, one, it rewards a company, but it tells, first off, it tells the company, we've brought this a certain amount of value to the marketplace. You look at Apple, right? They're one of the most profitable, as far as volume, uh, companies in history. But they've brought so much value to the world marketplace in the form of an iPhone, in the form of the other products that they produce. And by providing those products, they have allowed millions and millions of billions of other people to create value using their products in other aspects. They've created so much value by bringing this to the marketplace that they were rewarded proportionately with profit, right? So that's, we can say, okay, I've brought this much value to the market. I have this much profit. And then like you were saying, then we look at the competition. It's like, okay, Two people make the same widget or two companies make the same widget. Both want to bring more value. Both want to make more profit. This one does the widget a little bit better. So people go to that widget. This company has two options. They make a better widget or they go out of business, right? So profit begets Competition, competition begets innovation. Innovation, quality, yeah. innovation benefits society as a whole. Yeah. So really, if you look at it through that framework, it's the most beneficial system to society as a whole because it begets innovation. And it only begets innovation because of that profit value metric or that profit value correlation. Yeah, because everyone's trying to find or or. Even in like you're seeing in influencers and it's all capitalism. They don't want to say that because it's not popular to say for some reason. But they're trying to become somebody 
and be a brand in of themselves that's different from the other people that are on YouTube or the other people that are on X or the other people that are on fill in your social media, whatever it is. And they're trying to make themselves uh, be more valuable than the other ones that are around them. So people will watch them. And when they watch them, they receive more views, which gives them advertisement, which gives them all these other things. And those advertisers buy the, buy their brand and they, the millions watch that and people go and buy their brand as a result. And it's this, this monetary profitable cycle that has mm -hmm. been created, which always wasn't always the case. There's some major companies that have attributed to the different aspects of this and, I think it was a Coca-Cola that was one of the main ones that uh, the founder of Coca-Cola said, I want Coca-Cola to be seen like every 13 seconds or something like that. Like that yeah. was, that was their goal is to, so that wherever somebody went, no matter where they went, they saw a Coca-Cola sign, you know, every cer certain amount of time. I don't know it was 13 seconds, but something like that. And really, I mean, it's, it's everywhere, you know, and especially during that time it was everywhere. And when it was a lot cheaper to advertise, you know, now everyone else has got wind of that. It's like, yeah, let's do that. And and now there's that competition again that, that produces more profit. And well, and value in and of itself is a very complex oh, can yeah. of worms. Perceived value, status value, real value. Like you can go on and on and on about the actual value that's brought to the consumer. But regardless of the value, the profit's still the metric for that. So if there's profit, there is value. Yep. Now, how we define that particular value in that particular transaction can vary widely. You know, what you buy a Rolex watch, you spend $20,000 on a Rolex watch that does brings the same real value yep. as a $20 Timex. Mm -hmm. But the perceived value and the status value that comes along with that is what you're paying for. Versus if you want just the real value of that watch, you go buy a Dimex because it tells you the time, yeah. right? So it's very that part of the equation can get very complex, especially in a, in a complex society that we like we live in. Well, one of the richest men in the world is a fashion designer. Oh, Bernard Arnault. Yeah. yeah. And I think so he is the richest man in the yeah, world I think currently. He just, yeah, he just um, became it. Yeah. I mean, and he has monetized that perceived value. Mm-hmm better than anyone else obviously and he's profited off that because he has brought that value and the profits show it yep quote from winston churchill the inherent vice of capitalism is the unequal sharing of blessings the inherent virtue of socialism is the equal sharing of miseries hmm. do you think we're lacking shared as a side note do you think we're lacking shared misery in our in our country, in the United States of America. Do you think that's a problem? I do. Yeah. You know, I think it's something that people can't understand the value of, of going through something hard together. You know, um, even like biblically, you see that the church when it first started and, and, and the persecution and the, I mean, literally people were killing Christians and others were praising them for it. Like, like that's how the church started. And, and how that, how that provides a, a special, uh, friendship relationship that you have there, brother, brotherhood. But also what it does is 
is it really separates those who are serious about it and those who aren't. And there's a lot of people today that are quick to say, well, if that person becomes president, I'm moving to Canada. And it's just like, you know, there, where, where is your, let's build this country together. Where is that camaraderie? Where is, you know, the, the responsibility of this generation to continue on this, what has been given to us. And let's be honest, was given to us and we didn't work for it. We didn't do anything special to be born in America. We, we just were given it and it's a responsibility to continue to grow it for the next generation. And that's so absent from, from society today. And it's more about, you know, trying to, trying to appease everyone and make sure no one gets upset individually, uh, as opposed to how do we make this the best place in the world to live? How do we make where we're at the best it can possibly be? How do we push the limits to become better and greater? Um, and, and we've gone so individualistic to where now you'll, you'll, you'll sit there and hear politicians, they talk about all these individual stories that they run into and they try to classify an entire people group just because of one story. And, and that's where it's just, it's, it's tough, you know, but I, I have to say this too, that I, I've lived a blessed life. I, I've been given a lot too. And I see that and recognize that. Now there are some in America that have grown up in misery and sometimes it's by choice. Other times it's, there are parts of America that are not safe and are not an easy place to grow up in. Uh, but as a whole, I would say mostly it's, we're pampered. That's, I guess, the, the best word I can think of when I think of that is that we're soft because we haven't truly had to struggle to survive, most of us. We lack a common enemy. I think it's a huge part of it. And, I, I, and, and that can be, and you can laugh at that, but just look back at our history. Some of the best times have come, you know, socially as a country have come during hard times, 9-11, yeah. uh, World War II. There were other times that weren't so good, that didn't work out so good, like Vietnam, um, That because there were so many other factors that played into that. But when we had the times that, as a country, we had a shared common enemy. Or common threat. Or common threat. The Cold War. Cuban Missile Crisis, perfect example. It's something that never even really turned in. It was the Cold War for a reason. It never turned into an actual war. But the the common threat of the Soviet Union for all those years was a unifying factor because we knew that it was us against them. There's That's not there anymore. I mean, the because the, the fact of the matter is um, America is so far outpaced every other country on earth, we just, we can throw a dart at the map and go, we'll take it over. You know, we've spent so much on the military. We've, I mean, we are so many orders of magnitude more powerful than any other nation on earth that we can get comfortable. We can get, you know, 
complacent. Because like, of We don't even have to worry. Because of capitalism, this is the ironic part of yeah. it. So we don't even have to worry about that anymore. Yeah. You know, we don't have to worry about someone attacking us. Are you crazy? That's They're, they're signing their death warrant. Well, so much to the point to where now I'm not sure we're that way anymore. Yeah. That's what's scary is because now when government spending goes to something, you have no guarantee that it's getting there. Yeah. How many committees have to be paid and all these things happen and, and research studies and all this all this extra stuff gets included to the point where how much is actually going to military research? How much is actually going to innovation and military? What do we really have? Are we that much greater than the rest of the world like we once were? And especially in, I mean, you look at China too, and, and they're not, they're more economically trying to focus more of their power, but that would be a tough one to take over. If, if, if the dart hit China, I, I'd be worried for the world. It'd be more difficult than on many other places, but yeah. totally within reason. Yeah. No. Hey, the only the only thing that would happen would is if the rest of the world ganged up on us. That yeah, that, sure. that would be something that be a problem. You know, you know. But but I mean, you still even with all the technology today, you have oceans between you, and that that helps so much. It is something that has protected Great Britain. And it's protected us from, you know, the world wars that happened. And, um, yeah, that's an interesting, interesting thing to think about. So we can see through example how capitalism can benefit. And, and, you know, it's not a perfect thing. Sure. But it has benefits in creating wealth and creating economic stability but it has its detractors. It has its detractors, you know, its mechanistic detractors, and it also has its social detractors as well. Because if you bring a disproportionate amount of value, you'll receive a disproportionate amount of profit. Mm -hmm. There is inequality built into the cake. That's true. And, and, you know, and people will say it's all work. Like, I just work harder. Okay, yeah, oftentimes if you work more, you will bring more value and you will receive more profit. But most of the time, the disproportionate profit comes from other sources of value. Like we, I was talking about earlier, as far as perceived value and real value and you know all these different kinds of value. If you bring a value to the market that is... Influencer is a perfect example, right? Because two people can make a video on YouTube right one person has and work still plays a part in this as well don't get me wrong but one person has um five million followers and one person has five thousand right say they've both made the same amount of videos you know they both have put in roughly the same amount of effort but one person makes videos on woodworking and the other person makes videos on how to do your taxes the one with five million has how to do your taxes videos and the 5,000 has the woodworking videos. Okay. Right off the bat, you can see that the tax guy has brought more value to the masses expending the same amount of effort as the woodworking guy. So he put in the same amount of effort, but he brought more value to the economy and therefore more people watched his videos. And because more people watched his videos and that 
you know, the internet sees that he is giving greater value, uh, they purchase the influence in the form of advertisements or sponsorships, et cetera, et cetera. And he makes an exponential amount more profit than the guy making woodworking videos. Same amount of effort, more value, more profit. So there will always be an inequality. Yeah, and to a point of that too is that almost it's like we, if you want to be the richest you can be, you're almost confined to what's popular to the masses. Mm-hmm. And and that can be a big negative because no matter how much people have tried, there's a limit to things that are beneficial for society and everyone in, and everyone wants them and needs them, but they're not going to click on it or support it. Like, and, and I like woodworking, but almost like an electrician, you know, you think about that. He, he's lowered his entire market now to just people that are electricians. And that cuts off so many, so many people, whereas everyone has to do taxes. I mean, if you're going to abide by the law, everyone's doing it. So, so his, so his, you know, customer base is so much larger well, as a result of that, because everyone's seeking to make the most that they can, it almost like leaves to this, if it's not popular, it's worthless. And that's not true. Yeah. You know, and that, that can be, that can be something that it, that's where it sometimes takes sacrifice because in order to have good things, a lot of the times they don't, aren't necessarily popular, but they're needed. And, and, and so it takes some sacrifice to create that in a capitalistic society. And I think the people who bring the value to the marketplace in a capitalistic society recognize oftentimes that there's more to the equation on their side than just profits. I think people almost subconsciously recognize that because Profits are great, but it's still just money, right? If there's no satisfaction, if there's no personal um, enjoyment, if there, you know, there's other factors that play into it. Sure. Outside of just the pure economics of the matter, right? If, I mean, there's always ways to make maximize the value, maximize the profits, maximize whatever we're talking about in society. But it's still individualistic to where I can say, I enjoy bringing this value as an electrician, say, even though I can't scale, I can't, I can't, you know, I can't bring this value to more than a certain group of people, customers, but I, I extract a lot of other intangibles out of that. I, I can, I make enough money to, I make enough profit or I make enough money to, to feed myself and to live a good life. But I get the, the, you know, the other benefits that come along with it outweigh me choosing a different product or service that would more maximize profits, but maybe I would take a hit on the 
personal satisfaction side of it. And that's one of the checks uh, that balances out the, the whole pie, right, is the, the intangibles. That it's really not capitalism is the profit is foundational to it, but the humanity of it, you know, what we actually choose to do with our lives helps to balance out that inequality to a degree. Yeah, and 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 it creates to with it this almost this false sense of integrity at times because you look at it as okay so the things that are needed and good and need more attention are kind of out of the limelight and yet these influencers or or you know what have you that are still working like we said there's there is a lot of work that goes into and i've we've learned more <laughs> through this podcast how much work goes into what those people do um on a regular basis. Um, but ironically, the ones that are most popular are the ones that are at least perceptionally trying to help the most people. Mm-hmm. So the most popular people on YouTube, you'd think it would be, you know, things that fulfill interests or desires or things like that. And, and there are a lot of popular ones, but a lot of the most popular ones are the ones that care most about, or at least they, perceive that they care most about their followers and they care most about society and benefiting their followers more than anybody else and that they're the most important people to them, you know? And, and so there's this kind of this idea of like, you have to portray that you want what's best for society, even though what you're doing at least in the beginning, isn't benefiting society really at all. And, you know, one of the, one of the ways that I've you see that on YouTube is these these really popular people. I mean, once they get the millions, then all of a sudden they don't just disappear. No, they go bigger. They go they do more and more and more and they just continue to grow. And and then I think eventually then it does happen, like you said, like when they become so popular, then they expand and say, Okay, how there's a there's a response not everybody's in the position I am. Not everybody has the money that I have. I have a responsibility with this privilege to do something good with it. And, and then you start to see them start to do more like that. And, and that's encouraging because, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. You know, it doesn't. Well, frequently isn't that yeah, way. Yeah, majority aren't that way. Yeah, I would even say. But generosity is another one of those checks that balances out the pie. Like you can't, it doesn't work without the grease, mm. right? The machine doesn't work without the oil and things like generosity on a macro, you know, especially in a, in a large sense, but even down to, a, you know, small examples. But generosity overall is, is kind of the lubrication that keeps the, the whole machine moving, that helps balance it out a little bit keep the needle in in the middle again there's always going to be that profit inequality because no one brings value to the marketplace in the same exact manner yeah everyone's unique whatever you do whether you work a nine-to-five job at mcdonald's or you're uh you know you have a multi-billion dollar startup everyone's different in how they bring value to the economy but 
I'd like to talk about some of the pitfalls because a lot of a lot of times I mean, conservatives will praise the capitalistic system mm-hmm. and proclaim that it is without error, without fallacy, that it's perfect, that it should be worshipped, and that it, if it's done correctly, much like people on of liberal leaning will proclaim or, or communistic leaning will proclaim that it hasn't been done correctly yet. Yes. Conservatives will often say the exact same thing about capitalism. It hasn't been done perfectly. It has. You have to have laissez-faire capitalism. Mm-hmm. No holds barred. Yeah. That's just not the world we live in, either side of that coin. But the pitfalls of capitalism, and the one that that hit me the most because I was thinking about it this week was the complexity of our modern system and how complex and we learned about, we all learned about this a lot during COVID, right? Of, Oh, now I can't, I don't have this thing. Why not? Well, when you actually peek behind the curtain, say, how, how does this all work? You know, what is, how does the, what are the inner guts of this society of this economy and you go, whoa, look at all these moving parts. And it's just mind-boggling how complex the system is. Every little step to get your iPhone or to get your food or to get your car. and Toilet, all, paper. toilet paper. All the little things that have to go just right to make it work, to make the product, to bring the value. To bring it to you. To bring it to you, even. Yes. to Just to transport it to you. And I think the traditional pitfalls of capitalism, some of them can be laid at the feet of modern complexity. of the, Just the overall complexity that has been built into the system. And I gave you the example before we started this of Okay, many people will say greed is a, a pitfall of capitalism. Well, everyone's greedy, but we'll, we'll just go with that. So if I sell you a tomato that I grew in my garden, it's a capitalistic transaction. I grew it myself. I watered it. I did all the stuff. I put in all the effort that was required to create that tomato. Obviously, God let the plant grow. But I tended to it. And then I sell you the tomato, you my neighbor. I sell it to you for, you know, $5 or whatever. You get the tomato, and the tomato's rotten inside. You got a bad tomato, or say. Or maybe I overcharged you. Whatever. Just say it's rotten. You can come back to me. You walk right across the street and say, hey, you just sold me this tomato, and it's I think you charge me too much for it, or it's rotten. And I'm having this interaction directly with you. So the humanity of me and my rep, the, rep, the importance of my reputation, first and foremost, dictates that I need to make this right with you. I need to make this fair. I need to either give you another tomato that's good or I need to take back and give you your money back, or some some type of reconciling of this discrepancy. Whereas, if I go to the supermarket, buy a tomato, 
that tomato has probably been through 10 different hands, 20 different hands. It was on a farm. It got picked by a, a worker on a farm. It went to a processing plant. It got processed. It Maybe it went to a another facility where it got treated with um, some type of, you know, uh, or storage facility where it got cold storage and then it had to get shipped to a distributor and then the distributor had to take it and they had to put it on a truck to make it to your local supermarket. The supermarket guy had to put it on the shelf so I could come along and buy it. Ten other people checked it first. Yeah. <laughs> so there's just the, the upside is that because of that value, because everyone in that chain still wants to make profit and wants to create value, they will strive to bring a good tomato to me at the supermarket. And nine times out of nine, or nine times out of ten, <laughs> um, it will be good, and there won't be any problem. But when there is a problem, whose fault? Right? If the tomato, if I get home and the tomato's rotten inside, is it the supermarket's fault? Is it the distributor's fault? Is it the farmer's fault? And how do I even, I can't talk to any of these people. I don't know who they are. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's so complex that that the, the feedback's impossible. It, 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 the feedback is systematized first off. And to the credit of produce producers, there is an extensive feedback but a lot of that comes from regulation. A lot of that comes from governmental regulation because the system has gotten so complex. The government, to protect the people, has to step in and regulate the capitalism. And we view that as conservatives. And I've been guilty of this too. And I think there are some very good arguments against it. But when complexity reaches a certain point, and you as the consumer can't regulate the capitalism, something bigger, a.k.a. the government, in order to protect the consumer, has to come in and regulate the practice. Institute health checks, institute quality control, and, you know, make in certain laws so they can't spray pesticides on your tomatoes. You're not going to die from chemicals, on and on and on. You add so many pieces of complexity to a system versus me just growing a tomato and selling it to you, my neighbor. Well, the government doesn't need to be involved in that because if you get a bad tomato, you're just going to bring it back to me and I'll give you your money back. And I'm not going to spray my tomatoes with anything that I know is going to kill you because you're my neighbor, you know? And I want you to come back. And I want you to come back and buy more tomatoes. Yeah. So you see where that increase in complexity really is the cause of so many of the what we perceive as problems mm-hmm. with capitalism as a whole. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, and and it really you see how finding the cheapest way to bring product to consumer is 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 such a driving force in capitalism as well. Mm-hmm. To where we've seen a lot of factories leave America because it's cheaper to outsource to other countries. And and so now not only are you getting many hands, you're getting foreign lands yeah. involved in this as well. 
to the point where quality control can suffer. And I, and I just think of all those things. Like every time you, you brought up another thing, like in, in, insects, and, and I'm thinking, and who makes the insecticides? And who makes this? And who makes this? And who makes it? And, and all those, like you said, all those moving parts, and it, and it makes such a fragile system. Because if one thing falls out, then, you know, there's a huge pause on production. And, and thankfully, you know, we, we've been blessed and given um, a, a working society to this point. Even to the point that it's a surplus, that we didn't run out of stuff. So even if, oh, this cog went out for a few days... That's okay. We've got excess over here, so it can make up for this here, and we'll catch back up once it goes back in. And so we, as the consumers, never really felt it until, like you said, COVID hit, and then all the cogs stopped running, and then shortages happened everywhere on almost everything. And then all of a sudden, we realized, whoa, this is a fragile system. Well, COVID was the first true interruption to a system that had gotten so exponentially complex yes. in the past 50 years. Yeah, no, to its to defend capitalism too, everywhere else in the world struggled as well. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but, but but we we saw our system as, you know, bulletproof. Yeah, bulletproof. And it it wasn't. It's most definitely not. So you see when you introduce that complexity a natural occurrence, I think of that, is a real a disconnect, a lack of personal responsibility, and therefore, when there's none of that feedback that comes with personal responsibility and personal shortcomings, all of the negative aspects are allowed to flourish. Mm. You know, when you can make all these profits and the effort doesn't have to be there or the making it better doesn't have to be there. Or the conflict. Or the conflict doesn't have, the competition doesn't, then you get more aggressive and more, and you start pushing the gas pedal, right? More profit, more profit, more mm-hmm. profit. We're, we're experiencing no consequences. Yeah, and, and I will just really quick jump in there that that controls a lot of people. Some people would never go back to their neighbor and say, Hey, this is a bad tomato because of the conflict. And some of the people that create products will vet their own tomatoes, making sure that no one gets a rotten tomato because they don't want to deal with that conflict of somebody coming back and saying their product is bad. And what has happened is, is, is I see how capitalism has also incentivized people to make the system more complex because that will get you profit. If you find a niche that nobody else has thought of uh, to be the third, you know, to make it into the the system and to be a third man, well, then you're just going to get the profits right off the top too. And, and that makes it even more complex because everyone's looking for a way to make it more complex to get a piece of the pie, to get a big piece of that, you know, pie, you know. I'm not saying the complexity is wrong though. Sure. Because in that complexity, a lot of value can be there created. Is, yes. 
and right. protection and safety. Yeah, tons of things yes. can happen in that complexity, and a lot of times that complexity is what's required to create the products that have revolutionized our society. You think of something like the iPhone, right? I mean, if you look at the actual supply complexity of an iPhone, it's mind-boggling. And without all that complexity, you wouldn't have these wonderful technologies. Mm -hmm. And that's what keeps this exponential growth of society moving forward. But when you have that complexity, it makes it a lot easier to slip into the, all the, the back alleys, the monopolies the the corporatism the all corruption of the yeah. corruption mm -hmm. all that can play it a ever more present role you know and i don't think there's n no theoretical zero for those things but i think we really have to look at you know ways that we can incorporate the old checks and balances you know and capitalism didn't work. It, if anything, it's gotten better. Sure. You know, we look at the we look at it and we say, it's oh, capitalism's terrible. You know, it's got all this corruption and big corporations. Most business in America is, is done by small businesses. Like corporations control a lot of these really complex things. But the day-to-day -day stuff, the the less complex, the more likely it's going to be something that's, it's, the value's coming from a small business. It's coming from... Sometimes less than 10, a group of less than 10 people or even one person, you know. So people overblow, sometimes they'll overblow the role of these big faceless corporations in our day-to-day -day lives when they really only have a sliver of our day-to-day -day lives. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe your car, maybe your phone, maybe your, um, maybe your house, maybe, you know, the big things, but all the small stuff. Like who does and groceries and all that stuff? Yeah, it's it's like you go to the grocery store. Unless you buy nothing but processed junk food, <laughs> you're buying from Kraft or, or uh, Nestle or something. You know, you go to the you go buy produce. You can only introduce so much complexity into produce. Yeah. So you're kind of going to buy produce from a farmer that's probably less than a couple hundred miles away. It's regional. You know, and, but that really can't grow much outside of the regional. It can, yeah, but it's it's harder. Yeah, you know, and, so and you retain the quality. Yeah, retain the quality, and and to capitalism's credit, you can still get bananas any time of the year. <laughs> Why? Because they can get them from all different places of the world. They can store them. They figured out storage methods that that are efficient enough to still sell bananas at a reasonable cost in the off season. I mean. There's a lot of workarounds, and it's incredible mm -hmm. that it all even works. It is. But it can still devolve into that. And I think how we control the those negative aspects as we get more complex is going to be whether the system survives enough or whether there's a essentially a revolution. Yeah. I know that's a big word, but really, if you look at any system that is, you know, once there's a there's a number that once people feel that something's, you know, people can tolerate a certain amount of corruption because there's always a certain amount of corruption. Once that corruption hits a certain number, dink. Okay, now it's all got to come down. 
Yeah, or it affects them a certain amount. Mm-hmm. Because that's the thing, too. A lot of people, they're okay with corruption as long as their life is good. Yeah. As long as everything's okay with me, then that's okay, you know. Um, and we and we've seen that with a lot of these big corporations, how it's it's known that children in China were working in factories. It's known that off the backs of specific, I mean, types of people that we would all say that it should never be. If asked, is this wrong? Hundred percent would say yes. That is wrong. It should not be done. And then they go and wear Nikes <laughs> or whatever the whatever whatever brand you want to put in there because the corporations find the cheapest way to produce that at a good quality to bring it to you. And, and we're okay with it as long as it doesn't affect us, you know, and we'll say it's wrong, but we'll still buy the product because we enjoy the product. And, and that's a, that's a negative thing. I think too, that capitalism can bring is as long as I have the things that I want, I don't care how they got there. You know, and that's that's a that's a, a putting more value on a product than on people, and that can happen. And and I think that's happened in our society somewhat. The the, the problem is is that there's only two ways to fix it: governmental regulation that we know of. That, yeah, okay. That that I understand. That sure. we understand that that can work. Governmental regulation, which can work in certain circumstances for certain problems. And the other one is what people choose to purchase, mm-hmm. what what services people choose to use. And you see this with boycotts. This is essentially what boycotting something is. And it's very popular today. A group of people, mm-hmm. okay, say, we're not going to buy this anymore because we don't like what this company is doing. So we are not, we are going to not partake in this transaction and they will suffer the hidden value as a company because of it, or they might go out of business. Um, and that's really, you know, the ethics of the system are predominantly determined by the informed end user. You know, if you really don't like that Apple makes iPhones in China with slave labor, (laughs) then don't buy an iPhone. And if you buy an iPhone, then don't complain about it. Yep. You know, that's, yeah, it's tough, but people are selfish and greedy and they like their iPhone. Yep. So that outweighs the, the virtuousness of, I don't buy an iPhone because it's made in China. But I, I can guarantee you that if if nobody were to, if everybody woke up and said, we're not buying any more iPhones till they're made in the United States, you know what that would do? It would drive innovation. And Apple would say, okay, we'll bring it back to the United States. We'll do whatever we have to do to make the, and it might be twice the money, mm-hmm. but if the consumer really felt, you know, and really put their money where their mouth was, literally, uh, it would happen. It would. But that's not how economics works. And the problem is, too, that people aren't willing to sacrifice that much in order to 
have the right thing be done. Mm-hmm. That's the truth of it too. I don't care enough that I'm willing to pay double for my iPhone. Then just look the other way because that's what we're doing essentially in, in many of those cases. And so that's, that's something that capitalism can produce because almost any company is looking to lower the margins as much as they can, you know, and increase the profit, then it can lead to some very unethical practices. And, and I think that's a a big negative to what capitalism has produced. And, and we didn't foresee it happening because there used to be this pride of made in the USA. There used to be like, we want this because I'm supporting our country and, and we're supporting what our country's building and doing. And that's so gone now. It's like, what's, what's the cheapest, best quality. That's, that's, that's what we tend to run to now as a people not even thinking outside of our own pocket and what it costs us. But ultimately, personally, I view the system as benign. Yeah. It's all about the the people who act in the system. Sure. The system can work. Yeah. But it can only work if the people have some sense of morality, right? Um, You have to have that element. For it to actually work as it was intended. Yeah, that's that's not a popular message. Absolutely not. Because we, we're we not going to be the billions of views because we no. say, you know why children in China are slaving in those factories? Because you're buying it. Yeah. It's your fault. But America. 100% that's what it is. It is. And it's tough to hear, but you don't like billionaires? Quit buying their products. Yep. Okay, they've brought the value and you have enjoyed the value. You have enjoyed the value that they've brought and you have exchanged your dollars for the value of that product and you have obviously benefited because you keep buying it Mm -hmm. and you have lined their pocketbooks with all this money that because they have provided something that society gobbled up and that's how the system is supposed to work. But don't sit here and complain that, oh, there is billionaires. Well, there is billionaires because they brought something to you that you wanted. Mm-hmm. And you paid for it. Yep. And you chose to buy it. I mean, outside of people who have gotten rich off government contracting, that's the story for pretty much everybody that's made it. You know, that's made that kind of money. Is they've brought more value. And, again, you as the consumer were, were willing to buy that. Yeah, you can't. You can't so, really get around that. Yeah, and so the I think that yeah, like you said, that the a lot of the negatives. But I guess it could be argued that a lot of the negatives of any system are a result of the people that and the d- decisions people have made in that system. You know, like we yeah. mentioned about communism, or you know, you look at all all the different systems that are there of uh, patriarchies and and different things that are out there. I mean, every system breaks down somewhere and it's as a result of the people of how they're choosing to use it. Any system will work with perfect people. Yep. Anything. Yep. If you got perfect people, doesn't matter. Yep. Capitalism. And I was looking this quote up because I always thought it was by Winston Churchill. It's basically capitalism is the best bad system. Yeah. It's the best of the systems that all suck. Yeah. Evidently he didn't quite say that, but yeah. 
So I guess I said it. There you go. Winston Churchill. Royce. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's true, though, because there's never going to be a perfect system and it's always going to change because, you know, I think also as as the population grows and as it becomes even more and more complex, you know, what the founding fathers had in mind, they never imagined how many hundreds of millions of people were going to live in America. You know, that to them was so, whoa, out there that, you know, they couldn't have foreseen that, which is also why they gave the power to be able to amend things because they knew that that was the case. But I mean, they were concerned about tea and gunpowder and writing stuff with feathers. Yep. Like, we've come a long way in complexity since then. Definitely. And and the fact that the system still kind of works in general is a testament to its virtues. It does. I mean, like you said, every system corrupts, but this one's outlasted communism by a long yeah. shot. A lot fewer people have died. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot more people got rich. Yeah. And if you don't think you're rich living here in the United States, you're mistaken because if you make more than $30,000 a year, I believe that puts you in the top at least 90th percentile of the world. Maybe even uh, 95th percentile. Yeah. It's way up there. And if you make 70,000, I think it's your 1% of the, of the world by far. So if you if you think you're not a one percenter, you probably are. You, are. you just got to change your frame of yeah. reference a little bit. It's the world. You get on all those one percenters, and all of a sudden, oh wait, I'm one of those. Yeah. <laughs> Compared to the world. Yeah. It's it's crazy, but it's it's an interesting topic to talk about too because I I like one thing that I want to be as our podcast is 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 something that doesn't just only focus on positives. We want to take both sides try to find ways that there are glaring problems. We don't ignore those. We want to try to bring the best and most honest information that we can see to those that listen. I think, I mean, I'm open to talking about the benefits of communism. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not afraid to go there. Yeah. You know, we, we see the outcome. I mean, the, the ultimate outcome is, is self-explanatory. Sure. But, you want to discuss points about something that are positive. Sure. Absolutely. And I think that's how you learn. Yeah. But, but I also think, you know, as I was talking to someone today, um, and, and they were, they were talking how they have a friend. They kind of, they kind of are trying to talk to them and invite them to church. And they said they, well, they can't go to church because I'm, if I go to church, then there's going to be a curse on my life. And that's what my religion says. So I can't go to that church. And, and so there's this idea like, well, if I do that, then I'm cursed forever. And, and it's like, that sounds like some, someone that's really trying to, uh, that that's scared that they're not right. Exactly. That's, that's what it, that's what I hear. And when I hear that, because if you're right and you're, you have the truth, then you don't have to say no one go anywhere. Don't believe anything. Don't study anything else out. Because if you do that, you might change. Well, you know, if people are really seeking for the truth, and you have it, then just let them find it and and be that. You know, and there's dangers. You know, you can be influenced by things. You have to be, you know, smart about it. But 
but yeah, when you when you say, "Oh, we can't talk about this. Oh, we can't do this. Oh, we can't focus on this." No, no, no. It just looks like you're hiding something. Like you aren't the right one. You you aren't the right path. You aren't seeking the right way. You're not being yeah. honest. Yeah, you're not being honest. Like, yeah, and so if you what, can't, if you can't, I see what you're saying about you. You can be scared that maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, that's a good thing. Yeah. Because that's how you uncover more truth mm-hmm. is, okay, let's look at all the alternatives and pragmatically compare them mm-hmm. and go, okay, I was right about this. Yep. Or, no, you know what? I was wrong. Yep. And we, that point right there, we should incorporate into this. Yep. But, yeah, it was fun. I enjoyed talking about that. Yep. Any other closing thoughts before we wrap it up? No, yeah, but I, I think we should do more of not just capitalism, but maybe do a communism, do a, you know, socialism, socialism or uh, monarchy or yeah. oligarchy, uh, stuff like that. But it'd be, I think it'd be interesting. Not, not every week, guys. Don't worry. It's not only going to be about that. We're going to we're switch into the economic model. We're just, <laughs> we're just putting it into different, you know, futurist episodes, yeah. you know, that, that is coming, you know, eventually. All right. See you next time. Thanks.